Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about startups and the importance of ensuring your teams are able to maintain agility throughout your development and growth. This means knowing how to configure your teams with both internal and external resources, and even when to build things internally versus externally. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Dan Moore, CEO of, and co-founder of Vaporware. Dan co-founded Vaporware to help entrepreneurs take their software ideas to market. Over the past six years, he's helped Vaporware deliver thousands of iterations across dozens of apps in four main industries, healthcare, HR, real estate, and IT, ranging from the first MVP versions to modern iterations on mature solutions. With a strong belief that anyone can become the next big software-as-a-service company, he leads Vaporware in helping business founders pivot their business through process automation, technical modernization, and software innovation. First, uh, why don't you uh, tell me a little bit about what your background or about your background and, and what Vaporware does? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Greg. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, so I've, I've been around computers forever. I was a programmer uh, since the age of eight, I think. Um, wow. th- th- thanks to my mom, uh, she kind of immersed me um, through her uh, degree and, and career path in programming and computer science. So I ended up going to Georgia Tech, um, I graduated through their computer science program and, and joined Cisco Systems, uh, working on um, data center and networking products for them. So uh, through that work at a, at a different company, I ended up uh, falling into what what's called product management. And while I was there, I ended up co-founding uh, Vaporware with three other guys to uh, launch some of our own product ideas. So uh, we were focused on data center work and kind of the high tech space at the time. Uh, but we kind of quickly realized that we were just really insulated and uh, found other people that had better insights and ideas to different market needs and problems that were out there. And so um, we pivoted Vaporware to uh, find a model to try and help those people. Um, And most of the time it was they uh, had problems doing it themselves and had failed a couple times or they had never done it before and had no idea what to do. So that's, that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. Great. Well, yeah, let's let's explore that a little bit more in that that role that you play with your customers. So what's the when is the right time to hire an external team? You talked uh, about people that have ideas, Um, you know, when's the right time to hire them and how can business owners and leaders know when to make that call? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there's a a couple of natural times that we've seen um, relationships go really well. Um, The first one is when a company, uh, and these are traditionally like services companies or um, providing some kind of manual labor and, and solution to business problems, um, they've never built their own software before. So um, they want to get started on the right foot and they need an external partner uh, or someone in general to come and lead them. 
And so it's kind of like a, a Sherpa helping you climb a, a mountain if you've never done it before. They've they've been through the process. They know exactly like where all the false steps are and and can provide that expert guidance. Um, uh, another side of it is, uh, with those same kind of companies, experts, uh, and CTOs and those kind of people aren't really interested in joining the company yet. Um, either they're too expensive or there's not enough focus in the company on technology yet. And so there's a lot of risk to joining that company full time. Um, and, and all of that really comes from when you're building custom software for the first time, you're really testing out new markets or new business strategies. And from a business perspective, you, you might not want to completely commit uh, to that line of business yet. And so um, that's, that's very different in the startup companies that we help. Um, and, and they have a completely different reason of coming to us. Usually it's like fast deadlines or new sales or market opportunities that their main development and, and product teams um, can't handle. And so um, we, we fill a couple of roles there as well. Well, what should those entrepreneurs then look for in an external team? I, so it's, I, I like that you define the, the challenges, but how do they, what should they be looking for in a team to solve those challenges? Yeah, I, I think the first piece of that is around uh, business alignment. So a lot of development teams that are out there are incentivized to um, just continue working and building more code and um, architecting grand systems. And the the problem with that is uh, that isn't necessarily aligned to your business. That's a very technical approach. So so making sure that whatever they're working on and however they're working is really aligned and centered around the business objectives that you hope to accomplish with them um, is huge. Uh, besides that, there's, there's probably like a whole bunch of other things about, um, speed, how fast that they can get stuff done. Um, what, what is their focus? Is it a large team of people that are helping you part-time or is it a small team helping you full-time? Um, what is their capability to understand and like know your industry really well and all that kind of stuff? So what about uh, hybrid models? This is something that um, not only do I currently have a, a, my current position at, at career gig, but also I've, I've done this in the past. But a hybrid model, I would define that as, you know, there's an external team augmenting an internal one. What's mm-hmm. the best way to make something like that work? I, I think what we've seen is a, is a division of responsibilities. Um, and that kind of stems from this concept where, you want one person uh, to be responsible and, and to have uh, the vision all underneath that one person. And at, in like a movie, that's a director uh, kind of thing. And right. so um, being able to carve out a small piece of that and really make sure that um, th- those people exist at all different levels of that movie is, is incredibly important. So um, yeah. like, if it's a larger uh, product or a platform or what we call an ecosystem carving out a product works or a feature set. Um, so one thing we've done is built new interfaces uh, or new channels of communication into existing products. And so we're actually like submitting pull requests and, and design reviews with the core product team, but they're able to come in and kind of review and make sure that we follow their best practices and coding guidelines and all that good kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So that helps. I, 
I would say like the one other thing in the startup world that we see all the time is um, initial innovation as well. So um, a lot of internal product teams really like to do this kind of work, but it's very difficult to get rid of the mindset that is all the constraints of your current business. And so what we can do is kind of come in as like a, a Navy SEALs team and like take a foothold in, a, in an innovation space and really run some quick proof of concepts and get some user feedback um, around that initial innovation idea. And then we could take what we learn um, and it's super risky and it may all have to be thrown away and forgotten about, um, which is pretty common. But we usually bring those learnings back to the main organization and let them run with all the other constraints that the business has uh, from there. Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting way. It's like a quick learning model um, as a because I, I do think that's a challenge and especially established companies is everyone, you know, whether it's tech teams or, or, you know, marketing business, you name it, everyone, everyone kind of has their, their scripts that they've been running for, for months or years and, and stuff. And so for you to be able to come in, as you said, and, and uh, execute something quickly and whether or not it ends up being um, the end, you know, the end all be all like at least people can, can see it quickly as opposed to spending months and years planning and, and move, pushing over other com- uh, competing priorities. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're uh, right on the money with uh, competing priorities is that you don't want to take off some of your most expensive assets and resources and, and uh, amazing people that are knee deep in some pretty uh, hard product and technical challenges and just put them on something when you, you just have a couple of questions that you really need to learn before you invest um, especially in larger enterprises, millions of dollars into these new business ventures. So, so how does how does your company Vaporware enable companies to to get to market most effectively? So, you know, you you brought up the idea of doing almost a test or an M, and even if it's an internal MVP. But what about going to market and mm-hmm. whether that's for a startup or um, or a, a small company? What's what role do you play, and, and what's a what's a good client for for you to to do that with? Great question. So um, on on the first side of that, the role that we play is um, using this this custom methodology uh, to really take over that entire uh, innovation and idea and see it through to market. So um, it has a huge focus on. Um, getting to real users and getting their actual feedback on the system or, or product, as well as um, the other pillar is, is time boxing that effort. So um, we use this process of, of making bets uh, is effectively how we look at investments and saying that hey, it's a bet. We don't know the, all the answers to everything, but we want to hedge our bets a little bit and make sure that that's a specific dollar amount and time amount. Um, which is very important in, in product development. And how that breaks down is it starts with uh, what we call a design sprint, um, which takes all the initial solution ideation into a one-week timeframe. Um, it was pioneered by Google Ventures, and um, we've modified it a little bit um, because the second half of that we've stretched out into um, getting uh, better feedback or more feedback um, by prototyping that solution um, and really taking that into sales demos and um, 
user testing uh, scenarios depending on the, the kind of product that it is. So uh, that's time boxed in the two weeks as well. So, and then after that is when we actually put code down uh, on paper. Um, but there's a lot that we could do before we get to that point. So, well, along these lines, and just to take this a step further about, um, let's call it cultural or, or organizational type uh, things. So, you know, you've worked with a lot of teams um, bringing these ideas to market. What are mm-hmm. the traits and behaviors, you know, process and, and, programming language and all that stuff aside, you know, what are the, what are the traits and the behaviors that characterize successful startup teams? Mm, That's a, that's the million dollar question. (laughs) Right. Um, uh, Some of the things that we've seen have been um, common and it's out there, but I think it's really a mix of a lot of different things. Um, One that uh, a lot of people miss when starting a, a startup is is they try and find people that are from the same exact background as themselves. Um, it's easier to communicate. Um, you can kind of get a, to a further destination faster. Um, but the problem with startups is that they're not necessarily um, a set solution. They don't have a product yet. Um, they are focused on the problem and they should be focused on the problem of what are they trying to solve? Who are the customers that they're serving? And uh, there's a great book called uh, Range by David Epstein. And it it talks a lot about the diversity of people and not not in terms of like skin color, but that that does help. Um, But more in terms of backgrounds or perspectives or or ways of thinking. And it, it outlines this really good model of what we call T-shaped people, where uh, p- people at our company and what we look for and who we hire are these people that can understand all of these different perspectives and don't hold any as like the one true fact. Um, and, and so it's this range or diversity uh, of these people that I think makes them really incredible at solving some hard challenges that, that startups have. Yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, that's that's great, and I mean, I think that's a, I'm obviously a huge fan of of diversity of all kinds and and teams, and I think that's a great argument for for that. Is you know, you kind of get this in a startup, you get this echo chamber of a lot of people that it, on the on the one hand, it's it's cool because everybody's excited about launching a product and an idea and everything like that, but you get a lot of people that think the same way grew up the same way, worked for the same companies or whatever it may be. And so, yes, of course, they're going to kind of see things, um, see things a certain way. I mean, I know having recently launched a product uh, with career gig, um, it's amazing how, you know, how many times we went through a process and, you know, I did, we do put a, put a um, priority on diversity, but even that aside, like, you know, talking with three different customers in the first week after launch it's amazing what what they uncover that man I never thought of that in a million years like our you know we've we've had customers actually help us create new products um, within the first week after launch simply because they just came from a completely different viewpoint so mm-hmm. I'm that resonates very very personally with me right now and I think that's that's so it's you know it's it's just so important and again I think it's a great um, it's a great argument for greater diversity of all kinds so I, I, I love mm-hmm. that. 
I, I, I think like uh, the counter side of that is holding opinions and kind of knowing what your core product is about. And I think um, yeah. someone inside of the company and usually the CEO um, type person who's out there marketing and uh, in a startup at least is out there selling the product very, very often um, needs to still stand for something so people can understand it quickly. Um, but those opinions should be held very, very loosely uh, by that person and the rest of the team, uh, if it's a diverse team can challenge it and bring all these different perspectives in. So it's, it's this really fine balance. Um, but you're absolutely right. And that's something we see all the time. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing. So, you know, behaviors, it's like you need to adapt and change, right? So, you know, you, you need, you need to instill those behaviors in a team and yet, you can't completely lose what your, you know, I guess if you lose what your mission is, you're not really the same company. And, uh, you know, there's examples of companies that have completely changed and, and still been successful, but those are, you know, those are few and far between. So how do you, uh, you know, you, you characterize the, the, um, what needs to happen, but how do you kind of instill that or what advice do you give to, to customers that maybe are pivoting a little too much, um, uh, and and maybe should focus a little bit more. Yeah, I, I love the term that you use, mission. Um, it's uh, very well aligned and something that um, we, even as our own company, we look at on a yearly basis. Um, but it, it is not something that should be looked on at, at a daily basis. And so where we help startups align with that is we help them be passionate about the problem that they're trying to solve and not the solution. So even if you created like the greatest new blockchain, machine learning, all these buzzword technologies, if that doesn't solve the core problem, then, then that's not really your mission. It's not aligned to what your company stands for. And, and, um, as Simon Sinek says, the why behind it. So, um, really like, knowing that you can pivot on that solution all day long instead of holding on to something that like the market's not buying. But if the market's telling you that they don't want to buy this, then, then pivot away from it. Um, but that problem is still there most likely. And uh, like, there's a reason why that solution was such a a good idea in the first place. So, uh, focusing in on that, I think is, is how you adapt. So, as far as uh, an MVP, you know, one of the challenges is over engineering and, you know, I've read lean startup and, you know, read tons of books on different approaches to, to figuring out this, this MVP process, but, you know, from your perspective, um, what, what exactly, how should someone define that minimum in, in the minimum viable product? And, you know, how, how do you coach so that there's enough there that, that people can tell what's there and yet you don't spend three years over engineering something that the market may not want. Yeah. Great, great question. I think that that's definitely a challenge that is different for every single scenario. Um, and that's like the consultant side of me is like, well, it depends. Right. But, right. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the other side of me is, is definitely well rooted in the Eric Reese and um, lean startup and lean UX uh, movement. And, uh, that's kind of hence the name vaporware. Uh, so as you, as you know, uh, vaporware software that doesn't exist yet. And, um, that's what we had. We had ideas, but none of it existed yet. And so we all kind of tongue in cheek just said, 
well, no one's going to trademark vaporware, so we might as well do it ourselves. I love um, that name, by the way. Yeah, that's that's and for for what you do, I think it's such a great it's such a great name. And and <laughs> yeah, for those that are that know, it's like it's a it's sort of a double entendre almost. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's gotten us into a little bit of trouble in our marketing and sales side. I think a few times <laughs> people are like, "No, I'm not going to buy vaporware. That's a stupid idea." <laughs> right, but, right. But it, we're, we're selling that same concept of um, we don't know what the best solution is. Like we won't come out and pretend to say, yes, this is the end all be all solution. Like you should invest and put all your eggs in this one basket. Um, and, and so through that MVP concept, we uh, we have a couple of rules of thumb. Like uh, if you're if you're proud of it, it's not minimal enough. Um it's like something that you should be absolutely embarrassed by. Um, now, embarrassed is different than like completely falling on your face and not showing value um, right. because that middle word uh, viable is it still has to solve the problem. Um, now, maybe it's a small problem to exist with and it's not like the total vision that you see and, and the direction you're headed in and um, but, but maybe it's a, a PowerPoint slide deck. It's not actually real software. And you're just trying to get the concept across to somebody and make them an offer that says, Hey, in the next six months, we're working on this where we've already made great progress. Uh, and this is what we think can really solve your problem. Would you be willing to invest in, in something like that? And, yeah. uh, I think like, you, you know, there's, uh, markets out there, consumer markets where you need to really focus on like lovability and delightful uh, interfaces and all this kind of stuff. But for where we operate in the B2B software as a service space, um, early adopters can like they're dealing in spreadsheets all day and post-it notes. Like right. they can look past the cruft that, that comes with uh, MVPs. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where we start with. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up. Uh, for a potential entrepreneur or even a, a serial entrepreneur, what is your advice for when to engage a company like yours um, in conversations and ideation? Like how early in the process is it beneficial to do so? Um, yesterday. So <laughs> I, I would say as soon as possible. And by, by engage, I don't mean like pay us money. Um that's, that's not an engagement to us. So in, in our consulting space and how we take advantage of consulting is um, we build relationships with people and we are interested and in solving problems. So just understanding and keeping an ear to a market is something that we're doing all the time anyway and provides value to us that we can't buy. Um, like I can go out there and buy and survey people, but I can't understand how people think without talking to them. So um, having these conversations is incredibly valuable to us learning about ideas. And it's, it's not like we'll steal an idea that we have like no interest in that. It's more of, well, here's our experience and, and here's like some other avenues that you can consider. And so we do a lot of mentorship of, of startups that are never going to be uh, customers of ours. Um, because those relationships and, and the, the world and the industry is too small. So um, okay. we've even started to codify some of that and have created these what we call assessments um, of market ideas and business model canvases and stuff like that to just provide some some early value uh, to startups so that hopefully 
they can be more successful. And, and as they're more successful and the rising tide kind of lifts all boats and we want to be there with them. So. Well, Dan, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Um, we have a couple of sources. Uh, pod, uh, I'm on a couple of podcasts, but we kind of put them all under our insights page. So if you head over to vaporware.net um, and just right at the top there, you'll see some insights. Uh, we offer some other stuff about uh, just innovation and uh, what we're reading all over the world and kind of curate that content. So that's probably the best place to check it out. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Dan Moore, CEO and co-founder of Vaporware for joining the show. Uh, to learn more about customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile.